Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast. Dare I say the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am so super excited to be having Jen Bergeron. How do you say your last name? Is it Bergeron? Bergeron? Bergeron. Bergeron. There you go. Bergeron. Bergeron. Oh, I knew that. You know, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we're fellow Champlain College alums. Oh, really? Didn't You didn't know that, did you? I did not know that. That's I right. did not you, know that. What year did you graduate from Champlain College? A long time ago. Wow. All right. <laughs> um, about 16 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a real long time ago. Yeah. It, yeah it's so not fresh. <laughs> not fresh. No, I, I didn't. I went there. I, I graduated from Champlain, I think, in like 2005. 2005. Yep. Yeah. I got my second bachelor's degree there because, you know, one wasn't enough for me. So I got... <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was good with one. I was good with one and I'm done. I'm happy with that. I could be, I'm one of those, I could be a professional student. I really enjoy it. I do. I enjoy the the reading, the writing, the discussion. If it only paid better. It doesn't pay at all. That's the only, (laughs) that's the only challenge of it. But welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on and We've known each other for a long time, though, right? We've been kind of dancing around in the same circle for quite a while, haven't we? Yeah. When, did, when did we first meet? When it had to be, I don't know, two, three years ago at least. Ah, gosh, I think it was even longer than even that. Even longer, yeah. How long have you been there? How long have you been at? I've been with the University of Vermont Medical Center for, t- it'll be 10 years in July. Yeah, I think that's when we met, like 10 years ago. It's crazy years ago. I know it is crazy. It is crazy. And so welcome. How, how's everything going? I imagine you're right in the midst of COVID being over there at the hospital. Yeah. Thankfully, Vermont's COVID numbers have not been too bad in comparison to the rest of the states, which is great. Um, we had two reported cases in the state yesterday. We have one in-house COVID patient today, which is great news. Um, it'd be better with no COVID patients. Um, but I'll take one as opposed to a whole unit dedicated to COVID. So yeah, no question. Yeah, no question. Good for you. I just read that a hospital in Texas has just—they uh, no longer have a mask mandate. Yeah, it's crazy. Hospital. When the hospital says, "Hey, listen, you don't have to come in wearing a mask," you know we're in the right direction, right? That's yeah. That's that's. I, I I'm ready for that day. I I have my mask right here, handy. Um, but thankfully my door is closed now, and I I don't have to wear it. Um, but I'm ready for the masking to be over. I I for sure am. Yeah, me too. So let's let's go back. What did you do before you got in the cleaning industry? I mean, is this your first job in cleaning here at the hospital? It is my first job in cleaning what were you doing in the hospital. Then? Um, I worked in the banking industry for about 10 years prior to coming into healthcare. Um, started out as a, a teller, you know, just the intake and outtake of um, people's finances to um, doing loans and underwriting loans. Um, and then I, it was funny because I was looking for a job here or a job. And I emailed one of my friends because I saw the staff assistant in environmental services was open and I had no idea what that even meant. Um, So I emailed my good friend who used to work at the bank with me and I asked her if she knew anything about this position. She goes, actually, it's my position. So I can tell you everything about it. Oh, wow. Um, She went to school for human resources and got a job locally uh, working in human resources. So she was leaving here 
um, which was a great step in for me. I interviewed, obviously, I acquired the job, which was great. Um, didn't think I was going to be in housekeeping when I was going to college. It wasn't what I aspired to be. Um, but they hooked me. I'm not going to lie. They hooked me. I came in as the staff assistant. I was young and hungry. How did they hook you? What, what, what was the sales pitch? Cause I got hooked too. Same thing. It was, it was just the, the freedom of the position. I think the, the opportunities here are endless. Um, they still are endless, even through the various positions that I've held here. There's always room for growth. There's always opportunity. You're not stuck inside of a box. Things are always changing, right? So you don't have an opportunity to be bored in your job ever. <laughs> um, you know, so I the creativity really got me to be able to make the position my own. And I've been able to do that with all of my positions thus far. Um, I was in that staff assistant job for... What is that? Four what, years? what is that exactly? Is that like a, a lower HR position as far as like your hiring? Your it's a basic admin position. You yeah. know, I, I did all the paperwork. Um, I answered like the new phones, hires. dispatch. Um, I coordinated all the new hire paperwork with them. Um, what else did I do? I did a lot of stuff to organize and prepare for housekeeping week, helped maintain the budget with uh, my manager. Um, I did so, a lot of stuff. It sounds like it was like the perfect primer for your current position. It really was. And I did a lot of training that the staff did um, just so I could experience and see what they went through on a regular basis and, you know, learn more about the department. Um, and I think that's really what pushed me to move on into my role into supervisor. And now just a couple of months ago, assistant manager, which I'm still getting my feet very wet with that. Um, because I'm trying to train a new supervisor to take my role, but um, we'll get there. I'll be able to mold that too soon, soon enough. Yeah, you know, that's that's always how it goes, right? Where if you, you get promoted, but your first job is to replace yourself. Yes. <laughs> your first job is to find and train your replacement, which I remember the first time I was tasked with that. I remember after like maybe, and I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. After maybe like the eighth person who didn't work out, I went to my boss and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can be the manager. Like, why not? I said, because I can't hire a manager underneath. I, I can't do it, but to save my life. And he was very, he was very understanding. He's like, listen, it, it, that's how hard it is to hire. I mean, it's not, it's, you know, maybe a little bit you, you know, where maybe you have to work on a couple of things, but it's that high of a retrition rate. It's that high uh, yeah. trying to find, find someone. He's like, do you know how many people I had to hire before I found you? And of course I had no idea. Right. You know, mm -hmm. so we never yeah. really know. I love, I love the, the hospital offer, right? The hospital offer is and you can just come to work for us and stay here. Yeah. You can grow with us. You can yeah. expand with us. You can raise a family with us. You can buy a home with us. Right. Like it's, it's yeah. what a huge draw and it. And it's such it's such a community staple. You know, when you're looking at a community at large, hospitals are, they're usually the largest employer in town. They are the go-to center for everyone in the entire town. So you never know. Anyone could walk through your doors at any time. Your best friend, somebody you don't know, a neighbor you never met before, your yep. mom, right? I mean, even the people you don't want to see, they still <laughs> come in these doors. <laughs> 
Touche. I remember when I was, I worked at Woolworths. I don't know if there was no more Woolworths around, but yeah. when I was a kid, I worked at Woolworths. And I only had like one enemy in, as a kid. Like I was always a really friendly kid. But as a teenager, I had like one person that I, that I didn't care to see. And I couldn't believe it when he showed up at the store because I just thought <laughs> I was in a safe environment. <laughs> what are you doing here? Like, I'm shopping here. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. So you're right. Even your enemies can show up there. Mm-hmm. What has been, what has been like the biggest, I love that you had no intention of being in the cleaning industry Yeah. and you just, I mean, that you make the transition from, from banking to cleaning <laughs> is, I don't even know how you get there. Like there's, they're so opposite. So different. They're so different. But money is dirty. So, you know, okay. it all correlates in some way or another, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Not really. No, I had no idea what I was getting into. I'm not going to lie. I had, they offered me good benefits, um, good pay, great time off, great connections. Opportunity was endless. Like you said, it's one of the biggest employers in the state. Um, So what do you have to lose? You know, even if it wasn't a position that I liked, I could find something else with underneath this roof that might be a good fit for me. So, you know, it's funny you say that because when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was working, my, my first experience ever working in healthcare was working in the Marine Corps. I had worked in the regimental aid station, which is like a doctor's office for Marines. And it was the Navy side. And I had never worked in a hospital, a doctor's office, never, but I loved it. I, I really loved the, the whole aspect of the healthcare of people coming in and processing them and fixing them. And, you know, you know the whole thing. And so when I got out of the Marine Corps, I somebody I put up an ad on monster.com so many years ago. It was. <laughs> and somebody reached out to me and they were talking about management, healthcare, company growing by leaps and bounds, you know, all the things I wanted to hear. And it wasn't until the end of the phone call where he said, like 45 minutes in, like I had already agreed to the job. I mean, I'm starting on Monday. I mean, it's that kind of thing. He goes, by the way, this is in housekeeping, but that doesn't matter. He kind of like threw it away, like that doesn't matter. <laughs> And I thought the same thing you did. I was like, you know what? I don't care. I, it, once I get in there, I'm going to work my way right out of it. Yeah. And I'll be able to figure out where I'm going to be in that in that long-term care facility. And it turns out I was in the place I wanted to be. <laughs> I know. I it's great left. people. It's a great community. It's a great sense of belonging. There's so much to achieve here. Yeah. I never left the cleaning industry. And I love it. I just, I remember... I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have said to people, oh, you know, if, if, if I were to lose this job or if I were to go to, I would do anything other than the cleaning industry. And I never have. No, nope. never have. Well, you know, and it's funny, like before I worked here, like I had, I had blinders on. And now that I walk into a facility, I look at their floors. I look at their ceilings. I look <laughs> at all the corners, their baseboards. I'm like, oh my gosh, this place is filthy or they need to work on this. And then I see pictures on LinkedIn of like the floor work that people did. And I'm like, ah, this is beautiful. I love it. Wow. My satisfaction has really changed over the years. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I love LinkedIn. If there's, if there's one message I wish everybody got from a housekeeping point of view, housekeeping management point of view, get a LinkedIn account and start posting pictures of what your staff are doing. There is, it's so fun to look at pictures and floor care. And I, I'm always asking like, how many coats of wax is that? No, you know, yeah. what kind of wax is that? And 
I know the next time my my team does a floor with our Nora flooring and they get it all to that, like that really shine level with no wax on it. I'm taking a picture and posting it just to show that it's a no wax floor, but it's super shiny. Nice. And they're so proud of it. And I love it. Yeah. That's the other thing. (coughs) Pardon me. Is floor care. A lot of people don't know this, but floor care grabs 80% of your attention. When you walk into a, it doesn't matter if it's a hospital, the Walmart, yep, the floors are the first thing you notice mm-hmm. and they will dictate how you feel about the whole operation. Like you either feel good or bad about shopping or service, whatever, based on that floor. And so floor care is so super important. Mm-hmm. And what challenge you have in your hospital, and I know your hospital pretty well, is that you have all kinds of different floors. You have granite floors, you have VTC, you have carpet, you have cork board floors, you know, you have every type of floor imaginable. Yeah. And so it's just got to be one challenge after the other with trying to figure out best care, best practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the biggest struggles bringing a new floor person on is learning the different flooring types, when to use what kind of pad, what kind of chemicals you can use on the floor, whether it's a wax floor or no wax floor. You know, people see the the Nora flooring, the rubber flooring and think that they can put wax on it because it's shining like, no, 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 please don't put wax on there. You'll never get that floor back. Um, Yeah, once you wax it, you always have to wax it. You always have to wax it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges because we do have so many different flooring types, so many different types of pads. Um, we're trying to lean towards more floors with no wax um, for sustainability reasons, ease of care, less smell with strippers. Um, you know, it's just a lot easier to maintain and it's less resource intensive in some cases, not all cases by any means. It depends yeah. on the flooring. No, I agree. And, you know, you remember... I, you guys use boost machines, right? You guys started using boost machines, I, I imagine. Is that not boost machines are the auto scrubbers that strip floors without what without stripper? Oh yeah, the revs. Yeah, we use, yeah. Yep. Oh, so you're the well, the boost was the first, the first yeah. that came out with them. Yep. And that was like the 3M had come up with this super aggressive pad that you could strip a floor without stripper. And that was yep. that was really game-changing because we were having a lot of issues. I remember. I mean, just thinking about stupid things when it comes to like odor and dust and, you know, somebody yep. who has some breathing issues at all, it could really affect them. Yeah. And <laughs> one time we were buffing. I mean, buffing. We're just buffing. Okay. So <laughs> if there's anything coming up, it's a little bit of dust from the floor, but it's not that big of a deal. And there was a CNA. LNA, pardon me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't LNA because it was in Vermont. Outside of Vermont, they're called certified nursing <laughs> yes. assistants. In Vermont, they're called licensed nursing assistants. So an LNA is walking this 80-year-old man to his room as we're buffing the floor by them. And she brings him into the room. And then all of a sudden, the call lights go off. The ambulance is called. People are running to the room. Oh and I'm like, oh, my God, what happened to that gentleman? Nothing. The 19-year-old CNA or LNA was having heart palpitations because she was breathing in the dust while walking down the hallway. That's right. The ambulance, the call light, all yes. was for her. Yep. Not for the 85-year-old. I was like, come on. 
people are very sensitive whenever you do floor work, regardless of it involving stripper, wax, burnishing, polish, anything. Like you, no matter what you do, you're going to get a complaint until the end when they see the final result and they're like, oh, that looks really good. You guys did a good job. I never would have known through all the griping through the process, but I'm glad we got it here for you. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? What can you do about that? I guess not really a lot. No, we just increase the communication, forewarn them that we're coming, you know, check in with them, do as much as we can to reduce and eliminate odors, you know, whether it's increasing the air handlers, using more water, whatever yeah. it is, but they're, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't in some cases, you just can't win, but. No, I agree, but let, let's, let's turn, let's turn the conversation a little bit to management strategies. I'm, I'm really interested in like, where did you. I imagine when you first got in and being more of an admin side, you began to manage paperwork, right? So then you were probably in charge of making sure everybody was doing everything. The in-services were done. They were signed off on. And that gives you, did you do that kind of stuff at all at the bank? Were, were you already doing a little bit? Well, you're doing loans. So I guess that would be a little bit of it. Because yeah. I think that's, is, is it fair to say that that's kind of like a really nice little soft stepping stone into, into leadership? where you're having to be in charge of multiple, if not people, steps that people have to take to ensure that something else is getting done? Very minimally in the banking from what I've, what I received for experience there, you know, a little bit, but not much, to be honest. Um, A lot of it was self-management, just making sure you did what you needed to get done and making sure you got it done within your timeframes. Um, but more so when I came here as the staff assistant and started taking on that admin role. Um, yeah, a little bit uh, more so with the supervisors than with the staff themselves, to be honest. Um, really had very minimal, minimal, minimal experience with supervising or overseeing staff, um, especially when you go from, you know, in a bank I worked with, I was at a smaller branch. I wasn't at like the, the headquarters or whatever. So you know, I went from working in an office with five people. Um, you know, there'd be days we had more customers in there than we had staff, right? I mean, payday, you got everyone lined up, they want their money. Um, to overseeing and supervising like 36 employees and like, how do I give them all my time? Like, how do I make sure I divvy that up to each individual and make sure they all have what they need and each person needs something different and trying to figure out what each person needs. Um, Some of those barriers took longer than others, depending on the individual to break through. Um, But those were the most successful ones in my mind when I did finally break through. Um, It was like, it was super rewarding to have them call me and seek me for feedback, especially on floors. When they're the ones that trained me on the floors, they taught me everything I know. I learned it from my staff and videos and just reading about things, but the hands-on work was from them. So when they called me looking for advice or feedback, I was like, I'm winning now. I got them. I got them. I've got their respect. I've got their trust. Now let's roll. You know, there's a, there's something to be said about doing hard things together. Mm-hmm. And that's what really builds bonding like crazy go through hard things and you know where you see that the most is when you're like short staffed oh yeah when you're when you're down three four like when you're down enough to where you have to huddle up and go all right this is not going to be pretty 
We're not going to be able to get to it all, but here, yeah. can you take this chunk? I'll take that chunk yeah. and I'll take, and then at the, you know, and you come out of that and you have some strong relationships. You've, yeah. you've built and up. I like a- how, I like how you say three, four, we're, we have 21 <laughs> vacancies at least right now, about 20, 21, we're in double digits. Okay. We've done more hiring this year than we've done any year before so far. So when you say single digits, oh, that's cake. We can do that in our sleep. Um, but when you're down vacancies, um, and that's your average, just because of the turnover, especially now with COVID, it's hard to recruit people with the unemployment benefits. It's not really incentivizing anybody to come to work. They can make more at home than, than in an entry level position. Um, but back to what you said, you know, when you're divvying out those jobs and breaking out those job routines where there are vacancies and they see that you're taking ownership and covering areas too, even if you're just going up and stripping the rooms when discharges are heavy, or if you're covering part of a routine or you're helping them cover, they see that they recognize it. They respect it. You get a lot more being as a hands-on leader than you do just sitting in the back office. You're going to sit in your office. You're not going to get any respect out of your team. Yeah, I agree. And, and I don't know, I was just, I was just at a, at a conference, a leadership conference. And there was a guy there who said that their company has a, um, <coughs> a an empty chair policy. And so everybody has to be out of their chair. All the managers have to be out of their chair at certain times of the day. And so there's the, the guy who's in charge will literally walk to everybody's office and he better not find anybody in their office. That's pretty cool. Right. Like that. Yeah. Cause I know you a lot lead your employees from behind the scenes. I know a lot of people who try to, I know a yeah. lot. I, I go into a lot of offices that you clearly see. They live there. Mm-hmm. They li- they, they go in there and they never leave. You know, they, yeah. they're in that office all day. And it's, you know what? I don't even have to see the office. I can just go see the building. Just go see the hospital. <laughs> I can tell whether or not you're doing a good job just by how clean or dirty that nursing home or that hospital is, or even yeah. how clean or dirty the, the grocery store is or the bank or. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You can tell an awful lot just by looking at clean and dirty. It's super interesting. So what's like the, what's like the biggest takeaways? Like you've obviously worked your way up from you know just starting as an admin up to a supervisory role and now you just started in the assistant management role i'm interested in two things one i'm interested in like the big takeaways mm-hmm. how, how did you get here like what did you learn along the way that really supported you or helped you figure out how to be in charge at a supervisory level mm-hmm. and then what do you see as the roadblocks like what what do you think being the what's it going to take to put you in the management seat what's so the the it was a huge learning curve just going to that supervisory role like we talked about you know I didn't have any of that experience so having I had no problem I've always been a hands-on learner so working side by side with my staff to learn what they're doing and figuring that out that was the easy part for me it was having those difficult conversations with staff corrective actions and just difficult conversations if they didn't like their performance review based on their performance and didn't agree with it and and having those hard conversations, they were really rough at first. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty ugly. <laughs> um, and it was really, you know, you get the butterflies, you get super nervous, you don't know how to have the conversation, then someone challenges you, you know, so working with them, that was easy. But the corrective action, the disciplinary, the, the terminations, ugh, I still don't like terminations to this day. Um, 
still doesn't feel good, but as long as I know that I've done the right thing and I've done right by the employee, I've done everything and given them everything that I can give them and provide them, um, then I know I did what's right and I can still sleep at night. A lot of, you know, it's, it's on the employees. Um, so, you know, that was the most challenging part. Um, do you remember, do you remember that show, um, like in the nineties, there's a show called Grey's Anatomy. Did you ever yes. watch that show? I never watched it. I've been told I need to, but I, I just, never no, it, was a, it. It, it was a, it was a great show and it's about interns. So it's about people who are just coming out of med school and they're doing their internship so that they can become doctors. Right. And what really struck with me and, and kind of like just to your point of what you're saying is that there was this one episode where this patient came in and they were, in a, let's say, I think they were in a car accident. So the patient came in there a car accident and there was just, there's no chance they're going to be able to save them. Right. They're just right from the coming in. It was just so many things wrong with this guy. But the doctor was saying, go try this. And so the interns would go and they'd try that. And they'd come back like that. That didn't that didn't work at all. And, you know, I don't think he's going to make it. And the doctor said, well, did you try that? And like, well, that doesn't go try that. And so the interns would go and they'd try and they'd come back and like that. That didn't show any improvement at all. I don't think it's going to work. And the doctor said, go try. Did you try this? And they're like, why would we try that? Because that's not going to work. Like everything that the doctor told them to do didn't make sense to the intern. The intern was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do that for no reason because it's not gonna work. The patient's not gonna live. You know, it doesn't matter what we do. And so the whole show is revolving around these interns running and doing this test and doing that test and doing this test and doing that test. And then at the end, the patient dies. And so then the the inter the 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 young doctors go up to the doctor and they say, hey, um, you know, he he did pass away. And the doctor's like, yeah, I knew he would. And they're like, well, why did you? make us do all these tests and do all this stuff. And so in behind the doctor is the, the um, waiting room with the family is. And then now the doctor has to go meet with the family. And the doctor says, so that when I go in there, I can tell them honestly that we treated everything we can. Yep. And I think of what a great scene, right? Yeah. And for management, when you think about that, you think about all the people, you know, that staff employee, that employee is not good give them a performance improvement plan. I got to tell you every performance improvement plan I've ever written ended in a termination. They've never worked. They, for yeah. me, they've never worked. I've had the, the same but, success rate as you. <laughs> okay. So, but why do we do it? Right. Why do yeah. we write people up? Why do we try to, so that at the end we go, listen, I've done everything. Yeah. Right. You go, I'm going to sleep well tonight because management, you know, we get a bad rap. I don't know if you know this, but managers oh, I know. get a, Bad. Like we are the worst of the worst. There's this woman on, on LinkedIn where I have to stop following her because she, I'm, tr she triggers me easily. She just, <laughs> she'll be like, she'll post something like um, uh poll question. Do you hate managers or hate, hate managers? You know, and everyone's like, hate, hate managers. Hate managers. They're terrible. They fire uh, everybody. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. And it drives me insane because I've met, I have met, I'm going to be completely transparent. I've trained thousands of managers. I train managers for a living. You know, I, I work with first time managers. That's what I do. And I've met an awful lot of them that are just don't have a good heart. And they, they make decisions that are based on their own self-interest and, and it ends terribly for them. And I've seen yep. it. 
But if I've seen it out of 10 managers, I've seen it out of 100 employees. Yeah. It's not even close. I've met more managers who stay late, go in early, work Saturdays and Sundays when it's not their Saturday and Sunday, take complete ownership to to eat more crow than they've ever deserved. You know what I mean? Than I've ever seen a staff member do it. As a matter of fact, when I see a staff member do it, you know what I do? I try to recruit them for management. (laughs) Yes, It's, It's true. It's true. We do get a bad rap, but people don't realize and see all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we put into and not all of us. Right. Um, But some of us. And to me, the employees are what bring me back every day. Without them, this job would not be the job that it is. Um, Not going to lie. There's some days they give me headaches over and over and over. But there's way more rewarding days than there are negative days. And and I know they have my back um, and I have their back and I've I've gone and fought for them and they've seen it and. Again, they respect that you're there and you have them and you're not just going to throw them under the bus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've been burned a lot by, by employees and I've been burned uh, by managers. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it depends on where your position is, right? Because I've had, I've had managers who I promoted, I trained, I brought up through the ranks. I've defended, throw me under the bus in two seconds. Yeah. Like just in two seconds later, they're like, you know, like, yep. what? Yeah, it's, it's true. And, you know, and, and that's one of the hard parts of moving into this new role too, is my peers are now, you know, now I, I oversee them. So changing that relationship status with my peers and my colleagues who I could just go back and banter back and forth with and small talk. And we still do. Um, but it's a bit different now. And so that's going to be one of the biggest, you know, challenges, like you mentioned, moving forward is to, you know, they have, we have respect for one another, that respect in that relationship is, is there. Um, but some of those peers applied for the same position, um, you know, and it, and it didn't work in their favor, you know, they were provided with, you know, constructive feedback as to how to get there and whatnot. Um, but, you know, building those relationships on another level is very different than how we um, had our established relationship prior. So that'll be my, my next challenge and figuring that out. So far, we're off to a good start. Good (laughs) luck. Good (laughs) luck. Indeed. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a practice I have had to learn the hard way. And that is I never accept a two week notice because when it happens, when somebody gives me a two week notice, unless they're being promoted or mm-hmm. they're moving. Right. But if there's any, like I'm done with this, I'm giving you my two week notice. Anytime there's any friction and it's the reason they're leaving. I'm, and they give me their two week notice. I thank them profusely. And then just let, 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 let's let today be your last day. Because I had a situation where I had the same thing. I had two assistant managers vying for the same position. And I, you can only choose one. So I choose the one that I thought was going to be better. And the other one immediately gave me a two week notice. This is BS. I'm going to give my two week notice. And then spent those two weeks running down me and the new manager and really made it challenging for everybody. Yep. For everybody. And I was like, oh, I should have, I should have seen that coming. That's not. 
And, and, and that sealed your deal as to exactly why you made the right decision. I, I was just going to say, and it also reiterated that, hey, I made the good decision. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's how challenging it is. You know, my wife is a school teacher and she teaches seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And so I've gone into school recently and I've done some guest lecturing for her, which is really fun. But there's a few things just watching the way the teachers, what they have to do in schools from a management point of view is amazing. So first of all, if you don't know, teachers have their own teacher's lounge. Did you know that? They did when I was in school. They still do. So they do not eat with students. Yep. They don't hang out with students. Mm-mm. They don't socialize with students. They don't eat with students. Anytime yeah. there's a break, they don't break with students. Nope. They break with other teachers. It's not just an age thing. It's an authority separation thing. And I think when I think of that, I'm like, that's one of the big things that I, if, you know, going forward, I'm going to make sure I do is my management team is going to stay with my management team. My supervisor team is going to stay with my supervisor team. My employees are going to stay with the employees. Not that there's not going to be some crossover, but it is so super important to your point of that. You do have to start separating yourself a little bit. There does have to be. The other thing that I think was super interesting about watching teachers now, again, in perspective as an adult watching teachers in school is the teachers nowadays have it a little more tough, whereas every time the bell rings, they have to go to their classroom door. And so if you, you watch a bell rings, every teacher is at their door and they are managing the hallways. So kids are going, you know, hurry up. You're going to be late. Slow down. Yep. Give that back to her. Stop pulling her hair. You know, Get to the right side of the hall. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're just managing this chaotic mess. And then as every student walks into the classroom, the teachers, this is so bizarre. The teachers have to look at every one of their ears. So as they walk in, they're like ears, ears. And so the kids have hoodies on, they have hair, you know, because they have ear pods in. Yep. And teachers, here's the secret. They hate having to look at their ears. Because you know what happens? I don't know if you've ever met a 13-year-old kid, but if you see an ear pod in their ear and you're like, hey, take that out, you know what they do? They roll their eyes. They're like, oh, this is bull. This is so dumb. Yep. There's not a teacher in the world who wants to deal with that, mm-hmm. right? All the teachers I know would be very happy with going, hey, idiot, if you want to sit there and be dumb your whole life, go ahead. I don't know, but they can't, right? Yep. <laughs> so, you imagine the calls that that school would get. <laughs> You know, the the whole COVID thing and teaching online and the kids not turning the cameras on and not being present, they'd get on and then you'd go to sleep and. Yep. What a mess. What a mess. What a mess. I mean, all these kids I fear are going to be way behind. In oh, life. they're going to be so far behind. So this far week behind. Is, I have a 12 year old daughter and today She's in school four days a week. This is the first week that she went back to five days a week, but it's a half a day today. Oh. Half a day. What's the point? The last two weeks of school, you're going to have two half days. Just to say you went to school for five days to check a box, right? I feel bad for your daughter at 12 Crazy. having to go through this. Yeah, it's it's been rough. It's been really rough. She's She's done really, really well, but... 
there's so many kids out there where it's had such a negative impact on their mental health, their education, yeah. mm-hmm. socialization skills, so much. It's really, really sad. Yeah. You know, we're fortunate. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's weird to say fortunate, but, you know, in the healthcare industry, we, we didn't get a chance, especially in the service sector, you know, we didn't some get of any the days off. People, right. We didn't get any time off. We were told, you know, limited vacation if any kind of thing like we need you guys here we need everyone here here. my social skills have been on the up and up in COVID (laughs) right to where I get home and I'm like oh I just want to shut down and not talk and then my kids oh you're like "Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh I'm so tired (laughs) so let's talk about let's we got a few more minutes left here let's talk about what it's going to be like going forward like what are the what are the big struggles you think? What do you see that you, um, I don't know, what, what's, what's got you in your mind now? It's other than the separation and trying to. Yeah, really it's, um, so we've always had an assistant manager, but the assistant manager prior had all three shifts, day shift, evening shift, and night shift. So our department's gone through some restructuring. So it created a new position, which I filled, which is a day shift assistant manager. And then our other assistant manager oversees both the evenings and the night shifts to make sure that we have that leadership support on those teams, which we've always had a bit of a gap. Um, and as we all know, you know, evening and night stuff doesn't stop. It still happens. So really having that support there is huge, especially when, you know, during times like COVID or if there's a flood or some something happens, you know, it's nice to have that extra support there. Um, so really just figuring out this role and, you know, I took my supervisor role to a, to a whole other level than all the other supervisor roles that we have. So really determining like what of that I'm going to keep on my end versus what my expectations are going to be for that supervisor. Um, I mean, I've gone and spoke at national conferences and presented on different things in the local community and whatnot. So is that stuff that I'm going to keep or is that stuff that I'm going to hand off? You know, it's, it's hard to hand off because like I created it and I, you know, grew it and, and, you know, presented and, you know, it, it's like my baby. Like, I, I don't know that I'm ready to let all that go yet, um, but I'm also yeah. hungry for more and want to learn more. Yeah. Um, so really trying to find that balance and see where, where that all fits. Um, because I want to make sure that the new supervisor has the opportunity to, you know, obviously learn about his team and, you know, understand that and be able to really focus on, on them as a team and help them. Yeah. Um, so that'll, that'll be one of my challenges along with, you know, working side by side with my, my pre peers, um, and figuring out those relationships. Um, that was interesting last week. You know, I, I mentioned earlier when we spoke, Joint Commission was here last week. So, you know, having a different relationship with my peers during a Joint Commission audit or survey um, was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just me, you know, going and fixing stuff. It was me asking them, hey, let's let's go do this. Yeah, I need you, you know, your feet on the floor. And these are the things I need you looking out for. And, you know, sending them to five different places at once, right? Um <laughs> Hey, joint commissions here, 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 and here. Make sure your team is ready, right? Um, yeah. So I, I'm not really sure yet. It's it's still really new. Um, still in the training process with my um, new supervisor, which is super exciting. Um, but it, yeah, so it now is you're be now hard. you're having to develop a new supervisor, right? Which may be new yeah. for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm, I'm super fortunate that I was able to promote from within. We had a lot of internal interest. Very great. Which, you know, we always like to promote when we're hiring that we um, have a great secession planning program to move up the ranks within our department. Within well, it just makes sense for your hospital. It just makes yeah, sense for your hospital. You know, a lot of my team that I had, you know, we did, we've been working on DEI work, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, it's one of our hospital goals. And we really started having those conversations um, with our supervisor team a couple of weeks ago, which has been really difficult. Even though we work in such a diverse uh, department, we have the most diverse department, as you can imagine, right? We have employees from over 37 different countries that speak over 40 different languages with the different dialects in each language. You know, we consider ourselves to be very, you know, diverse, open-minded, right? You have to be. Um, But then when you start breaking down some of the data and you look at hiring practices and you know, what was your retention? Why did you, what was the biggest pain point of losing people? Um, And breaking down even by, um, by culture, like the hiring practices. And you have to remember too, Vermont is not a very diverse workplace. I was just going to say, it really has to be, it really has to be a, you really have to take into account where you are. So it's really hard, right? So if you take our pool of 200 and some odd employees and you put them out in a parking lot versus another 200 people in the state of Vermont, our department is going to be more diverse than yeah. a random selection of people of in the state. Of course. Um, but it's interesting to see all that work come together and, and people just trying to think outside the box. And one of our biggest pain points was um, uh, child care. You know, um, and we compared the data last year because we're like, well, last year wasn't a good idea to compare it to because Corona, a lot of people had to stay home because their kids were being homeschooled. They couldn't go to school. Right. Um, So we compared it again to 2019 data and it was the same pain point. It was still came down to childcare. So now trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to help fix this? Because we want to retain people. We want them to be able to work here. They want to work but they just can't because it doesn't make financial sense. Yeah. Child so big one. that's one of our biggest things that we're working on right now is with all the, the DEI work that we're working on as a department and as a organization as a whole. It's really great. If you were, if you were, if I was training you, if I was helping train you as a new manager, I got to tell you a couple of things I would do. Mm-hmm. One, I would show you my handcuffs and I would threaten you with them. Because as a new manager, assistant manager, one of the things you're going to have to get comfortable with is having people do work that you're not doing. I know. And that's, and that's a challenge, right? It's a challenge not to pitch in. Yeah. A challenge not to, not to, um, to, because, you know, we believe, we believe that, we believe that you should never ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't do. Yep. Right? You've heard that, right? Absolutely. That's not true in management. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that is a management lie. It is a lie that a lot of managers say to themselves as an excuse to do the work rather than to be the manager. Because it's so much easier to be the worker. Yeah, because you know it's going to get done, right? I might as well do it myself. Because you know it got done. I may as well do it myself. Yeah. The The only challenge is, of course, you can't do it all yourself. If you could, we wouldn't hire staff. We wouldn't spend the money. It's true. Right? It's true. You really have to learn how to keep your hands in your pocket. Yeah, that'll you be really a challenge. You have to learn when to pitch in, when not to pitch in. Mm-hmm. 
I would also give you a badge, a police badge, because it is very important for you to remember that you have to be a detective. And by when you're a police officer, do you know what the number one skill of a police officer is? Take a wild guess. What do you think it is? Writing tickets. <laughs> Skepticism. Skepticism. They don't believe anybody. Everybody says, you know, uh, listen, officer, I wasn't, I didn't see the speed, speed sign. Listen, officer, that wasn't me. Listen, officer, I no, she started it. I didn't start it. So you don't think they buy it when I tell them that when I get pulled No. <laughs> no, they don't. They are trained to be skeptical. They are trained to go, okay, let me keep drilling down. Okay, you started when? You said 315. Now you're saying it's 330. Which is it? Right? Drill down, drill down, drill down. Yeah. And when you're in a management role, you need to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. Even though it's your friend. Even though yeah. you, you would never lie to me. Yes, they would. Yep. Yes, they would. I got to tell you, I one of the, I just recently happened to me. I worked with a brand new manager, this young lady. And, and she, she wasn't new to managing. She had been working in long-term care for a long time. She'd been managing for a long time. And so I was kind of surprised at how much she didn't quite know about managing, but whatever. Okay. okay. So I spend a whole day with her going through everything. Maybe three weeks later, I'm talking to her once again, and I'm walking with her and I'm like, you see, you know, this, and then, and she says, what, I mean, honest as the day is long, you know, I've never been trained. I take a deep breath and I say, okay, let's just keep moving. Let, you know, let me just keep talking. Don't worry. I'm like, okay, I'll train you now. Okay. So I start, I, you know, we keep talking again. And like 10 minutes later, she goes, you know what? Actually, I think I have heard this before. And then I say, yeah, because I trained you three weeks ago. She goes, oh, I'm embarrassed. That's right. It was you. I said, don't be embarrassed. What you should be is aware that what you said to me is what everybody always says to me. Mm-hmm. I've never met a single person who said they've been trained. As a matter of fact, I read a statistic earlier that 66% of managers claim they've never been trained. 66%. Mm-mm-mm. I've never been trained. Every, be skeptical. Yeah. Keep your hands in your pocket. I usually give away no buttons. I have one behind me. This is a little no button to new managers. <laughs> Yep. And it's because new managers always say yes. And new manager, by the way, you're not being paid to be a manager to say yes. Anybody can say, yeah, we don't need you to say yes. Can I leave early? Yes. Can I come late? Yes. Can I go do that? Yes. Can I, can I take vacation? Yeah. Nobody needs you for that. Nobody yep. needs you for yeses. They yep. need you for no's. Do you have the ability to say no? I don't feel well. I appreciate that. Still need you to come in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I need this weekend off. Can't have this weekend off. You're already scheduled. Yep. I didn't know. Neither did I. No, 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 <laughs> I no. I didn't know right? you were going to not be here either, but surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so, so it's those kinds of things. Like um, there's, there's like the five golden rules of management that everybody believes that, you know, in one is, you know, you should, um, Never ask anybody to do anything you wouldn't do. I don't buy that at all. You should treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that at all either. And by the way, that is not to say that I can treat you terribly, but it is to say that I have to treat you the way you need to be treated, which may be way different than I the way I need to be treated. Because mm-hmm. if I got the, if everybody acted, if I got to treat everybody the way that I want to be treated, it would be 
it would be stupid jokes, high fives, <laughs> rainbows, and you know, and chocolate every day. That mm-hmm. that's what motivates me. Unfortunately, we work with staff who need a kick in the pants. Yeah, we do. Who need a stern talking to, mm-hmm. and you know, need some honest, frank conversation. Yep. So you, you got to learn how to talk to people the way they need to be talked to, as opposed to the way you want to talk to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I, it, it might sound like I'm just playing a word game, but I'm not. It's, it's really important to separate yourself from the herd. Yeah. And I think just, you know, being consistent and fair with everybody, you know, 100%. Consistent and fair. And that's, that was one of the, um, my biggest takeaways when I was a supervisor is just making sure I was consistent and fair and checking in with other previous leaders just to see if they've had those past experiences and how they handled the situation. Um, just so there was consistency across the board, yeah. um, not holding somebody to a different standard because of who they are or what they are like across the board, this is the consistency. And I think, again, you get the respect for that even if they don't want to hear the answer and they know what the answer is going to be, but they're still going to ask you in hopes that you might say something different. Um, but they still receive the answer that they weren't hoping for. Um, but as long as you're consistent and fair, um, it is, it's huge. I agree. Fairness is worth more than dollars. Mm -hmm. Fairness is worth more than dollars. And I think you're on the right track with that. Yep. You're on the right track. Who's been super fun. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, letting me pick your brain. It sounds like it's a very exciting time for you. It sounds like you've been doing such a great job so far. So it's an easy, it seems like an easy, easy promotion for you to be getting this spot. And I'm excited to learn, you know, just how it goes and all the yeah, we'll have to check it, in in like a year just to see. Yeah. No question. No, no question. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, the, 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 the thing about management is 10 times harder than you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's harder. It takes more time. You know, people think they're going to get into a management role and they can roll in at eight, nine o'clock, leave early, Gosh. sit in oh. their office, drink their coffee, right? Drink easy coffee. peasy. No, no, nope. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. None, none of that is true. None but that's that okay. True. I'm up for the challenge. It's going to be yeah. a good challenge and uh, good things are coming. I just need to get an office. So you don't uh, have an office it's a new yet. position, I still don't have an office. <laughs> and I had to give up my office because my new supervisor. Sure, started. sure. So I'm, um, I'm office squatting on people that are on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> In, until they can find me a temporary home to build me a home. Um, that's so great. But that's okay. Yeah, you know, I, I've had offices in the worst places. Uh, I've had offices in laundry rooms, the dirty side, by the way. I've had offices in closets. My first housekeeping office was used to be a dental office, so but it was a, a like a supply closet they turned into a dental office. So it was painted pink with white lattice work. That was the oh, most beautiful. masculine place to begin. <laughs> I was like, this is an office? Uh. <laughs> you get some black paint in here or something white it was pink paint with white lattice work that's like, awesome pepto-bismo <laughs> well thank you jen it was super nice having you on the on on the show i really appreciate it and um that's it thank you very awesome. much the housekeepers podcast thank you for listening 
and or watching the Outskirts podcast. This will be up on YouTube as well. And remember, if you want to be in leadership, if you're in housekeeping and you think that you deserve the opportunity to get the nod and you want to know how do I go about becoming a housekeeping manager, give me a ring, give me a call. You can email me at info at ralphpeterson.com or just go to the standardhealthandrehab.com, which is where we do all of our housekeeping management training. We'd love to help you get to that next level. 